0: Well, we're fifteen and a half chapters into Romans, where we've been for some months. And in where Paul is at now is he is returning to talking about his purpose in writing. Why did he write this long letter to the Church in Rome? Along with reminding them of the truths of the gospel, Paul is seeking to involve the Romans in supporting his new mission ambition, Spain which he'll talk about, and we'll we'll see that next week. So this is a missionary support letter. In describing his mission strategy, we we will learn what the essential missionary task is that must be fulfilled in completing Christ's mission. Anybody have any unfinished tasks at home or at work? Wow, you're, you're doing pretty well. Just a few of you do. Yeah. So most of us live there in terms of unfinished tasks, and the church, the global church, has a major, big, unfinished task that we need to be about. So we'll um, read from Romans 15, verses 14 through 21. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness Filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Because of the grace given me by God. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. Sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus then I have reason to be proud of my work. For God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest i build on someone else's foundation but as it is written those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand may god grant us grace and understanding and applying his word so paul says to them he's he's saying kind words to them he's he's satisfied he says he's convinced about the Roman Christians, that they are full of goodness and knowledge and are able to instruct, to admonish one another. He is persuaded that, they, that they're a pretty mature group of, of believers. This is a good goal for any church, to be full of knowledge, to um, be competent to counsel and to instruct and encourage one another. So bring it on. And, and um, yeah, you're, you're there and, and we're growing that way by God's grace. But I wonder, does Paul really think that they are that good? I mean, he just finished doing some major correcting of their judging and despising one another. And does he really think that they are full of knowledge? Because it seems like he's covered a lot of ground. and He's talked about quite a bit of things that they needed to know. So what he says in, in verse 15 and 16, I think, clarifies what he's talking about. Paul says, and on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder. He says, it's true that I have written to you very boldly on some points, but primarily as a reminder, I haven't written to you mainly about things you don't know anything about, but I have been reminding you of things you already do know. You already have some knowledge of these things. That's what most of Christian teaching is, by the way, just reminding things that we've already been exposed to. So we need a lot of reminding. Have you noticed how much reminding you need? I definitely need lots of reminding. Turning all that I learn into faith and obedience is constant work in progress. Paul's boldness in writing is not a function of his own self assumed authority, but as a result of the grace of God that God has given him. And when he says that, what he means is the grace of being an apostle. An apostle is one that God has sent as his representative. Back in chapter 1, he said, he put it this way. He said, through Jesus, I have received grace and apostleship. I and the other apostles have received grace and apostleship. So it's the grace of being an apostle of Christ, a foundational, sent, truth-establishing, foundational um, representative of Christ for the church. Paul's specific role in verse 16, he says, as an apostle, was as a minister of Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Interesting way he puts that. He was a Christ-sent minister to the Gentiles, or to the nations. As a minister of Christ, he was like a mediator, in that he represented Christ, God's saving plan to men in the priestly service of the gospel of God. And in proclaiming the gospel to to people, like a priest would prepare an offering to God, he was preparing a people from among the Gentiles as an offering to God that would be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So just as a priest under the old covenant would prepare an offering acceptable to God, Paul's doing that to them by preaching the gospel to them. Sanctified means set apart to God as his own, holy, cleansed from sin people with a purpose to represent him to the nations. So he's, hey, look at my people. They, they're a reflection of me, or supposed to be. And uh, it's through the ministry of the gospel that he does this by the Holy Spirit. So this is what we're seeking to do is to one another as we share the word of God with one another in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're seeking to prepare you as a holy offering to the Lord. Your lives are presented to the Lord as, as an offering. And then in verse 17, he says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to boast, a reason to be proud. So, Paul, are you proud? That's kind of a sin, isn't it? Well, because Paul's work is in spreading the gospel of Christ, in the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that's, he's, the, he's the changing agent, the change agent. Paul can be proud, so to speak, or boast of his work for God without it being sinful pride, because he knows that he's only doing it in Christ. It's only through Christ that he's, he's accomplishing anything for God's kingdom. He explains this further in, in the next verse, in verse 18. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. The only work he will boast about, so to speak, is what Christ has accomplished through him. What has Christ accomplished through him, by the way? Well, he says it's the obedience of the Gentiles. He has his work cut out to him. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to get Gentiles to obey? It's it's excruciating work. And again, in chapter 1, what Paul said about himself is, he had received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name among all nations. The word for nations, and actually it's the same word for Gentiles, doesn't refer to geopolitical nation-states like France, Germany, or Iran. What, we get our, our word ethnic from this word. So we refer to ethnic groups, to people groups. Uh, what Paul means and what Scripture talks about as a whole, when it talks about nations or Gentiles, it's, it's talking about ethnic groups or people groups, groups that share a common ethnic identity, a common language, a common culture. So a country like Pakistan has several dozen people groups. It's not just Pakistani people are all the same. They have different language groups, different culture groups, different ethnic groups within Pakistan. So Paul's purpose was not to make converts, not just to make converts, not just to get decisions for Christ. Uh, His MO was not merely to encourage people to try Jesus, He had been given the grace of apostleship to bring the Gentiles, the nations, the ethnic groups, to the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name, for for his glory, that Christ would be worshipped among all peoples, among all nations. All people groups would have a worshipping community for Christ. That's his goal. In other words, he was carrying out the Great Commission, making disciples, obedient followers of Jesus. And Christ worked through Paul by word and deed to bring the Gentiles to the obedience of faith. And he continues talking about that in verse 19. He says he did it by the power of signs and wonders. By these signs and wonders, um, primarily healings and casting out of demons, Paul validated that he was an apostle of Christ. And the, and the kingdom of God is breaking in. He's carrying on the work of Christ and by the power of Christ um, with signs of of one day there's going to be a complete healing. One day there's going to be demons are going to be all toast and so he's he's doing those signs and wonders to to validate his apostleship and the kingdom of God is breaking in and he says he he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit working in Paul Christ brought people to faith in himself by the power of the Holy Spirit Christ never intended the ministry of, of the gospel to be carried out in human power alone he said to his disciples, you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Paul said in, back in chapter 1 that he is not ashamed of the gospel for the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's God's power. It's not just his, his content of, of facts, b- just believe in these facts, but it's God works through his power to save people through the gospel. Christ wasn't establishing a religious organization, he wasn't est- establishing a spirituality club or a path to human spirituality, or he wasn't on a morality crusade, just follow these steps and, and improve your life. He commissioned his apostles to minister the gospel in the power of the spirit. That's because the only way we could be rescued from God's wrath against our sin, the only way we could be raised from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive in Christ, the only way we could be saved from hell and guaranteed heaven is by faith in the the powerful death and resurrection of Jesus. And only by hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, can we come to this saving faith. Because it's God's power for salvation. And it's his power to bring, to bring about obedience in our lives. He's about preparing us to be a, a people who are holy to his name. Paul says that from Jerusalem to Illyricum. So you all want to know where Illyricum is. You ought to go there sometime. It's actually it's 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 east of Italy. And it's uh the region of present-day Albania, Serbia, Croatia, Bosnia. Now, how can Paul say that he fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem through going up through Syria, going up through Turkey, taking a left, take a right of Greece, and go up, and you're in Illyricum? And that's pretty covers a lot of territory. So um, how did he mean that every person from Jerusalem to Illyricum had heard the gospel from him? Well, no. So what does he mean? Well, we see in Acts, the book of Acts, that Paul's strategy was to concentrate his missionary activity on, on the great urban centers of, of the Middle East. He would preach the gospel, teach the new believers, establish them as churches, and raise up leaders. His strategy was to establish churches that would continue to evangelize their own areas, multiply disciples, and plant more churches. Therefore, he considered that since he had established new churches in this region sufficient to carry on the work of evangelism and multiplying disciples, he had fulfilled the ministry of of the gospel in that region. The the goal, the task of missionaries, their goal is to work themselves out of a job, um, to, to raise up the indigenous people to carry on their own work, not to not to linger on there for decades. In in Acts we see him Paul going back and, and visiting, checking up on churches, and so he he followed up with them. He wrote letters to them. We have them in our Bibles. But he didn't stay there and become their pastor. He he raised up leaders and started disciple making movements. And then he says in verse twenty. Um, and and. In fact, in verse 23, which we'll see next week, he said, I had no longer have any room to work in these regions. So he he really felt that he had done all that he was supposed to do. What he says in verse 20 is, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. His ambition had always been to preach the gospel in place, places where Christ was not na- known. He was committed to not build on foundations laid by others. Now, this is not because he had some like some pride where he wanted just to to to, to be known for starting this in that church, to get the credit for those churches, but because his uh, this is how he understood his apostolic mandate as an apostle to the Gentiles. He was to establish foundational disciple-making, church planting movements that would result in communities of gospel witness spreading among all nations, among all ethnic groups. And if others had established churches, he didn't need to to, um, do that over the top of what they'd already done. Today we call this pioneer church planting. This is the core missionary task that the church has been entrusted. Because Jesus commissioned his disciples and the church that is built on the foundation of the apostles to make disciples of all nations, all ethnic groups. That's what Jesus told us to do. In fact, we see in Revelation 5 that Christ died and ransomed people for God, purchased people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every ethnic group, every nation. And we see the result of of the completed mission of bringing the gospel to all these people in Revelation 7, that some from every ethnic group, all tribes and peoples and languages are before Christ on his throne. So until every people group has a, a gospel witness established in it, our task is not finished. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, that this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And Paul says in verse 21 that Isaiah, he's quoting from Isaiah 52, Isaiah said, Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is what was driving Paul to to get the gospel to every every person who has never heard. This con- the context in Isaiah 52 is about one whom God called my servant. He said that his servant would be marred beyond human appearance. Many nations and kings would be amazed at him. For those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Then Isaiah 53 follows. Who has believed what what he has heard from us? Why would this message be so hard to understand? Why would it be so hard to believe? Because it says in Isaiah 53 that this servant would be be pierced for our transgressions and be crushed for our iniquities. He would bear the sin of many. This was clearly a prophecy of, of the atoning work of Christ and that his message would be proclaimed among the nations. People must hear the gospel in order to be saved. They must hear the gospel to be saved. Paul in Romans has made it clear that all people are without excuse for suppressing the truth of of God, that they all have a knowledge of God built in and in creation, and they all have a a, a knowledge of right and wrong in, in their hearts. So Paul says that people will have no excuse on the day when they stand before God. But through the gospel, God provides the way to make us right with him through faith in Christ, to reconcile us to him, to adopt us, that we might live forever with him. Few of us are to be frontline pioneer missionaries. Some of you might be. But all of us should care about the completion of the central task of Christ's mission a disciple making, church planting movement among every people group. Each of us can make our lives count toward completing the task. So, how are we, the global church, doing with finishing the task? and and now the mission is is going from everywhere to everywhere all nations are sending missionaries just about so i think i got some numbers for you for your eyes might glaze over with these but um the total number of people groups in the world are about 16,000 which is a population of 7.2 billion there are out of the 16,6600 6, unreached people groups that have no sufficient witness to them for the gospel. And that equals uh, somewhere between two to three billion people, depending on how you count. And there are uh, 3,000 unengaged people groups. It means not that they're not getting married, but they there's no um, work already targeting them. There's no, there's no strategy designed to reach them with the gospel. So they're... 3,000 unengaged people groups, and that adds up to about 197 million people. So what do we do? I mean, that's overwhelming. What do we do? Well, first of all, we need to learn. So take the Perspectives on the World Christian Movement course. You've heard us talk about that before. Several of us have taken it, and it's, it's radically able to help you get a, a finger on the pulse of what God is doing in the world. That will be this fall at a Baptist church in Portland. Definitely pray. Um, You can start with our Harvest connections with with works that impact unreached peoples. A major focus of missions at Harvest is India. And the main reason is India has more unreached people groups than any other nation. So we've got numbers for those as well. Total of 2,200 people groups in India, 1.2 billion people. A lot of folks. And you you notice that when you go over there, there's lots of people. And out of that, they, out of those people groups, there are 2,018 that are still unreached. They don't have a sufficient witness for the gospel to them, which adds up to 1.2 billion people still without a no witness. So we have uh, Indian National Inland Mission and the Pillai family. They've been there for decades, training workers, sending them out. We have Roderick Gilbert's ministry. He's catalyzed the church planting movement um, in northern India. We have David and Jera Hold and their kids, they're a young family. They just moved to India and they're joining a local worker in gospel work. And also we have the Pringles. Pringles are focused on North Africa. They live in Spain, but they they equip workers in North Africa, which is um, where a lot of unreached people, Muslim people groups are in particular. And Dan's part of a technology resource team for Mission Aviation Fellowship. It covers projects from North Africa, Middle East, Central Asia, and Nepal, and Laos. And they're a good example of a family who, who just used their skills and gifts to, to do kingdom work um, overseas, cross-culturally. Sarah Deal also is, uh, impacts Unreached People groups through supporting Wycliffe Bible translator workers by educating their kids. So they give them Bible translations for uh, Bibleist peoples. Also, you can give. So if you give to Harvest, generally, we have uh, we support several of these workers, and so that's one way the money gets to them, through your giving to us generally, but but there's also opportunities for you to give uh, to those workers and others who do works that impact unreached peoples. And so the question I have is, why do American Christians have so much money? Because we're supposed to invest it in God's kingdom work, finishing the task. If you make $25,000 a year, you're among the richest 10% of people in the world. So people could occupy your street as being part of the 10%, like Occupy Wall Street, the 1%, you're the 10%. If you make $2,500 a year, you're in the richest 15% of people in the world. So we're wealthy, and we have money to, to invest in God's kingdom work. You can go. Going may involve going to people from unreached people groups in your neighborhood, your school, your work, or community connections. We're doing the uh, summer in the USA with Basque students this year. So you can have a Basque student from, they're basically an unreached people group in Europe. You can go to Europe where unreached people groups are flooding in, or Japan where they're. It's the most unreached nation, one of the most unreached nations. Or um, United Arab Emirates or India. You say, but I'm not a trained missionary. You can take your education, your work, your your work experience, your sports abilities. You can teach English in short-term, medium-term, or long-term in locations where you can work and live among unreached peoples. Actually, there's a short-term mission opportunity for women, for a couple ladies to go do some cooking for a women's retreat, this meeting in Spain in May. And they're uh, they're serving uh, workers from North Africa, Christian workers from North Africa, as well as some Spanish workers as well. So there's an opportunity there. You can let me know if you're interested in that. A missionary traveled to Saudi Arabia where she stayed with some Muslim friends. The lady of the house asked the missionary if she would come downstairs to see a new room she had decorated. Out of courtesy, she followed the lady downstairs where about 80 people had been waiting. The lady then asked the missionary to share with them about Isa or Jesus. She said, but isn't that illegal in Saudi Arabia? Why do you want me to share with these people? The lady responded that they were all close family members or friends and all were interested in in the person of Jesus. How has this come about? The missionary asked. The lady replied, you know that I have a Filipino housemaid. She sings all the time and looks so joyful. I asked her what she was singing about, and she explained she was singing songs of praise and thanksgiving to God for Jesus. I asked her to tell me more about more about him. Through her witness, I became a Christian. Then my husband, then we shared the gospel with these family members and friends. Some have come to faith, others are seeking. That's why I want you to share with them about Jesus in the Bible. All this because of a Filipino housemaid singing praise to Jesus in a Muslim household in Saudi Arabia. Actually, some of these Filipino housemaids are trained to be doctors and dentists and other professionals, but they've chosen, they feel they can get more of a personal connection with people by serving as maids. One of the objections is to prioritizing mission efforts to unreached peoples is we have unreached people here. The need for the gospel here is so great. Take care of the needs here before you go overseas. You probably heard that and maybe you've said that. Well, it's not either or. It's both and. Of course we still have needs for gospel ministry here. Why? Donald Trump still needs to get saved. Yes, of course he does. In fact, pray that he does, it might reduce his popularity. That's a bad motivation. Okay, it's, it's justified then. But, but the difference between Donald Trump and the person in Pakistan is he has access to the gospel. Unreached Americans have access to, to churches, to Christians, to cheesy Christian movies. Oops, sorry. Um, I I do believe we can be approaching our local areas more missionally, not just expecting, him, expecting them to come to our churches. There are millions and millions of Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, and atheists in Asia and, and Middle East who don't know a single Christian and where there are no disciple-making churches that can reach them. So we're talking about the vast difference between access versus no access. But there are people from unreached people groups coming to the U.S., so you can reach them here for sure. And you, how how do you do that? Um, be a friend. Ask them how how you can pray for them. There was a a, a big church planting movement that got launched in India by people just going to a village and saying, hey, how can I pray for you? And that led to a group of Christians multiplying to another group of Christians, multiplying to another group of Christians. So it's not complicated. What I'm asking you to do today is to ask God how he would have you make your life count toward completing Christ's mission. Come to him with open hearts and hands with what next step you should take. Learn. Pray, give, or go, or all the above. What are your passions? What are your resources, your talents that you can use toward completing the task? Are you praying for, about that? Maybe for your kids or your grandkids? Oh, not my grandkids. Your career, your retirement? Dream with me. How can Harvest increase our investment in fulfilling Christ's mission? We'll uh, not do the video, Alex, and we'll go straight to worship. Let's pray. Father, take these words, your word you've given to us. Lay them upon our hearts and cause us to see how we can make our lives count for the completion of the task of spreading the gospel among all peoples. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.